This season, we'll be further exploring each topic, hanging out with experts and enthusiasts of all kinds for more strange stories, social commentary, and the myths that make America tick. I'm your host, Chelsea Weber-Smith. Sarah Marshall is the co-host of the incredible podcast, You're Wrong About, which investigates all kinds of misunderstood cultural phenomena and tries to set the record straight. She's also the co-host of Why Are Dads, a podcast that dives into different movies to analyze this baffling mystery of the dad. Oh, and you may be interested to know that she's also writing a book about the satanic panic. Today, we're going to talk about some of our favorite topics, the experience of Disney parks and the history of animatronics from Disney's Tiki Room to the first robot band at Comet Pizza. And you'll also hear the story of Disneyland's disastrous opening day, known now as Black Sunday. So grab a Dole Whip, sit back, and enjoy the tour through this gleefully haunted mansion of America. Sarah Marshall, of course, it's so great and such an honor to have you on. And when I wanted to talk about this topic, I thought of you immediately. And to start, I was just hoping that you would describe your relationship to Disney. So... Because I am a child who was born in America in 1988, I feel like my entire childhood was shaped by the Disney Renaissance. And I feel like most American children, their lives have to be affected by Disney in some way. But maybe the 90s were like, maybe there's some kind of ramp up there because I think they got they got really good at brand synergy. They were merchandising everything. They had Howard Ashman and Alan Menken doing these you know, amazing sort of like Broadway level musicals that it was very hard not to love. Um, and so just just grew up with, you know, grew up sleeping under a, a Lion King comforter and then went to Disney World for the first time when I was six. And I remember being taken around the park by my dad, who was like miserable and impatient because it really I you know, I feel like Disney and all their wisdom, like they could come up with some kind of like parent test at the beginning just like are these people going to be capable of handling the lines with grace or can we hire a professional to take the to form memories for the children and then the parents can just like go have a drink or something (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure yeah and and so i have kind of maybe a classic childhood disney memory which is like i don't remember having the kind of that disney stress of like oh my god we're here we spent all this money to come here like we need to have as much fun as we possibly can because we were there for my mom to do a work conference in Orlando. And so my dad was just like, all right, let's do this for a couple of days. And just, I think, did not anticipate like the the lines, the lines, lines, lines. <laughs> and so one of the, the things he always brings up in the context of Disney or Disney World is that we got to the front of the line for the Haunted Mansion. And then I decided that it was too scary and that I needed to get out of town. Fast forward to me at 29 going to Disney World for the second time in my life on like the third working day of the Trump administration and going on the Haunted Mansion ride with my friend Rachel, who's very emotionally supportive, and being like, oh my God, like this would have destroyed me as a child. Like I 
at that age saw the part in Batman Returns where Selena, you know, puts her stuffed animals in the incinerator and was haunted by it for years. Like the, <sighs> you know, and that to me is like the Disney magic that I think it's so cheesy. It's, you know, at this point, so overpriced. I don't know if it's overpriced, but it's very expensive. But at the end of the day, like I remain kind of as a creative person, really delighted by the fact that like I, as some kind of an adult can like go on the Haunted Mansion ride, which was created in the 60s and still be like, those ghosts are real. And like, they are going to follow me out of here. (laughs) You know, just like there's some, they they just look like they're dancing. (laughs) Really quick. I learned from uh, Kurt Anderson's podcast that, that the voice, the bride and the crystal ball. Yeah. The wedding dress lady who is like leading you out with her weird speech. Oh, yeah. That woman was the mother of one of the Imagineers and she still works Aww. there. So she walks by and hears her like deceased mother's voice. I love that. There's so many layered emotions in that, that you can visit your mother in this very public way and that she is like this real spirit to billions of parkgoers, I would probably say. Yeah, at this point. I feel like Disney World as a place, I think we know that it is so important as a cultural artifact and a childhood memory and this monument to commerce and synergy. (laughs) And all of that. And that's all true. But I also just feel like alongside all of that and alongside what it is as a monument to capitalism, it also feels to me just like a fully realized creative vision, which there aren't that many of in the world. I mean, you could probably say that it is the most. Yeah. So at the start of the pandemic, somehow the thing that made it all feel real to me is that Disney was like, we are closing our parks. They announced this on, I think, March 13th. And I was like, okay, this is really happening. Yeah. And at the same time, the White House was like, it's fine. And of course, they continued saying that for until the end of the administration, really. But in that moment, I was like, I trust Disney. Like, th- that was another kind of indicator of who Disney is to me um, and maybe who they are in America. Like, I don't trust the White House. Well, I do slightly more now. But like, at the time, it was like, obviously, I don't trust you to act in my best interest. But also, I don't trust you to reasonably assess facts, because that's one of the problems with having a malignant narcissist in charge, Mm -hmm. among others. And I was like, if Disney acting conservatively, as I know they are, believes that this is enough of a public health threat to even temporarily close parks, like this is real, and I'm like staying put. And that's how I ended up staying in Portland with my parents. Um, (laughs) It was a moment of them being, yeah, to me anyway, very useful and kind of being like, you know, this is not even on the level of altruism. This is on the level of corporate Mm -hmm. responsibility, basically. And I remember just being like, oh, my God, the tiki birds are all alone. (sighs) This all feels so long ago now, but there was definitely a time when, you know, you would or I would fall asleep and then wake up and then kind of like have a like startle and be like, oh, this is happening. Like we're having a pandemic right now. And it would take a few seconds. And I, that went on for a few weeks. And then it, that kind of stopped happening. But during the time when my brain was struggling to process literally what was happening, I think one of the kind of <laughs> brain exercises that was useful to me was just to think about the places in Disney World that had no one at them. <laughs> Poor tiki birds. Yeah, yeah. The t- well, and then maybe they need a break, or me. And then I kind of did this like little princess thing of being like, "What if, uh, <laughs> what if 
now that no one's there, like they can all come alive and like the attraction characters can visit all the different attractions. That's so nice. The Kiki birds are like, we haven't seen the Country Bear Jamboree in so long. <laughs> that would be such a good friendship. So weird. I can like feel my sadness for plastic robots. I know. And like another thing that I think about Disney World, I think it's a great test of people in a way, because I also, I did a residency uh, in Las Vegas through the Believer and the Black Mountain Institute and really like loved being there, like loved the experience and also loved kind of realizing that people who react to Las Vegas as if it's just a very simple concept rather than an entire city and are like, blah, no, it's like, okay, you know, there are lots of aspects of Las Vegas that I genuinely don't enjoy. Like, I don't gamble. I'm a tourist. It doesn't make sense to me. So, like, there's lots of stuff that doesn't work for me as, like, a pleasure. But, like, do I want to pay $60 and have bottomless crab legs at Caesars? Like, yes. No like, I don't like gambling. I do like crab. And, like, I am friends with the concept of myself as, like, an undignified array of pleasure-seeking, <laughs> yeah. you know, is, basically. And... There are places that cater to that. And I think that Las Vegas caters to that in a way. And I think Disney World caters to this childlike part of us. Um, I think some people probably genuinely don't have any part of themselves that Disney delights. But I think a lot more people like are delighted by it and then are kind of distressed by the fact that there's that part of them that still exists and is delighted and is like, I feel feelings for this robot. Okay, so I want to spend like a pretty big chunk of our time here talking about animatronics um and i know you are a big animatronics fan Mm -hmm. you know i think that for me that's my favorite part of disneyland i think um i'm gonna give you some fun animatron history here and i want you to just jump in at any point so they started in like the 10th century bc in ancient china and people could make like ones that sing and dance and the internet said that they had lifelike organs and bones and muscles and joints and i couldn't find anything more about what Hmm. that means but uh i assume if you just pack some some bones into there they'll look okay for a little while you know define realistic were they in the right place or was it just juicy i have no idea (laughs) that is the only thing i could find i have questions 10th century bc yeah call me back (laughs) so I love the fortune teller machines, right? Zoltar. Yeah, of course. Zoltar is is the big boy. Um, but before that, the very first fortune teller machines uh, were in 1891, and they were uh, called the Donkey Wonder and the Elephant Wonder, and they were based on the political parties. And like wow. it, it would go, Donkey Wonder will solve your problems. Why didn't they call it Ass Wonder, though? <laughs> there are so many missed opportunities in American history. <laughs> Once we look back. There are. That's true. (laughs) Um, But this is is great. You're going to love this if you don't already know about it. So in the 1920s and 30s, this this, uh, thing called Laughing Sal was um, peddled all over to different carnivals. And she was just like, she was missing her front tooth. And she had like crazy red hair. But you had to get your own hat. That was like how you personalize Laughing Sal. And she's like the, the first like laughing pirate or skeleton you know like the first skeleton laughing pirate you know what i mean because she would invite people into the dark rides yeah which weren't necessarily they were just all the rides that happened like in, in an enclosed 
dark. Place. I guess that's even kind of a crypt keeper kind of a character. It, it is. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's scared children. If you are scared of laughing, Sal, then this riot is too scary for you, Al. Get ready to laugh. Here we go. <laughs> Like, I want to go on this ride for some reason. I don't even know if there is a ride. There's no ride. I'm like, just put me on. Just put me in a vehicle. I don't care. Just put me anywhere that this lady's pointing because I'm there. And then the top comment says, it sounds like there's an actual human soul in her, which, yes, I would agree with. Oh, and someone else says, it's Chucky's mom. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. And then Electro. Have you ever heard of Electro? No, I'm so excited. So this is Electro at the World's Fair in uh, the late 30s. This is great. Yeah, it's amazing. Electro, behave yourself. Quiet, please. I'm doing the talking i'm sorry all right now electro i know you enjoy these and i'm really going to try to give you a nice pleasure i'm showing sarah the part where uh the robot smokes i love how that's like one of the most basic things a human can do it's like talking singing smoking and he also blew up balloons of course (laughs) and just to describe him since you can't actually see him he's just this like big boxy gold robot who uh it just barely does anything. I got to read you a comment because this is, I love this. Do this it. is from Murder Doll 106. <laughs> he says, I've actually seen this in a museum. They don't operate it anymore because it's corroded on the inside and apparently it fell on the owner's son, LOL. But nonetheless, the thing is pretty sweet. <laughs> God. Oh, man. Pulitzer. <laughs> You'll love this. Alongside Electro and in a different part of the um, New York World's Fair was um, Electro's pet dog, Sparko. <laughs> oh, Sparko. Sparko. Um, and he was the first animatronic like animal. Uh, I guess, yeah, I I, I like that because animatrons need pets, too. Yeah, I think it's nice. So then, like, popping over to Disney when he's ready to, you know, do his thing. Uh, they do this thing called Project Little Man in 1951, which is just like a little nine inch dancing man. Um, but then, but then the real kind of first one was they called it Chinese Head, and it was built for a Chinese mm-hmm. restaurant because there was going to be a Chinatown section. Mm-hmm. And you oh. could, it was going to be, yeah, it was going to be a Chinese restaurant, and customers could ask questions and it and the the head would reply with words of wisdom and blink its eyes and its mouth open and closed so i love how they're like what should we put in our restaurant a severed head you're like is that scary it's like well you know you don't have to do the limbs it's sufficient yeah and it's like we're just gonna just immediately go into something that's gonna be so controversial in 50 years you know and just like (laughs) (laughs) what's the first idea yeah, this is the kind of stuff that you don't get in those Imagineers documentaries that they have on Disney+. Plus. You know, animatrons, like anything else, have this like cultural lineage that reflects what's happening. And it's just so, it's just everywhere. And so then, you know, there we go. Darling Tiki Room's coming in. Do you want to describe, in case people haven't been to the Tiki Room, since it's such a passion of yours? Yeah, it's so hard to describe, but it's like, I guess it's easy to describe, but it's hard to describe why it's great. So literally, it is you go in and you sit down and you watch about like maybe a 12 minute show where these four 
main audio animatronic parrots. There's, I believe, the Scottish one, the German one, the French one, and the Mexican one, who I think is like not long for this world. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't imagine so. Justifiably so, yes. if that's the yes. case. And they sing songs and they tell jokes and they have a little routine. And it is just, you know, aside from the grandfathered in racism, it's the most weirdly adorable thing. And it's, and also there's just, I think this one, this amazing wealth of just, it's not just the birds, it's like the flowers and the setting that they're in, like everything sort of is both, very beautiful and I think relatively simply capable of, of movement. And it's really wonderful if you are a little kid or an adult who likes quiet things. It's a refuge. It really is. <laughs> I went with my friend, Rachel, who's a Disney aficionado, and she was like, we're going to get Dole Whip and then we're going to eat it in the tiki room. And Perfect. I was like, you know your yeah, stuff. I yeah, I do that. But I go over to the uh, island on the steamboat, Huck Finn Island or whatever it's called. And uh, that's a great mm-hmm. refuge, too. You can find a little spot. I often find the moody teens there and they're, you know, like mm-hmm. listening to their headphones and uh, just nice. sulking. And I just love that. You ever notice how finding time and energy to do the most basic human necessity, eat literal food, has become just another exhausting task jammed into our increasingly inhuman schedules? Well, your spring can be a little more stress-free with Factor. Factor will provide you with delicious, never-frozen, ready-to-eat gourmet meals that are chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Each week, you get to choose from a menu of 35 options to create your perfect breakfast, lunch, or dinner with absolutely no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. And Factor makes sure you get exactly what you want. You can tailor deliveries to your schedule and customize how many meals you want each and every week, and you can pause anytime. So just head to factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 and use code American can hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code American Hysteria 50 at factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Check out Factor today. Okay. Now I want to tell you, we're going to go back out of Disney um, again, because I want to talk to you about the first animatronic restaurant band. Ah, (laughs) Um, I'm so excited. Well, the very first one was in 1968, and the character was called Golden Mario, but there is nothing on the internet unless I pay $30 for an academic article Mm. to learn about Golden Mario. So I'm, that's like a, something I need so desperately. I just want to see it. But like the very first one, and maybe you remember this, but it's like a little before our Mm. time, but it was um, from Showbiz Pizza. And uh, it's, it's, this would go on to be the Chuck E. Cheese band. They would like rip Mm -hmm. the faces off and put new faces on it. And I do have a commercial for you. So Ah! The band known as Rock a Fire Explosion from Showbiz Pizza. Oh, 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 o
lovely i would go to there honestly maybe only the one time but i would go i'm gonna tell you about the characters so we got billy bob broccoli and he is <laughs> the brown bear on base um and his okay. kind of vibe is like he's like the good kid you know how there's always like the kid who's like the moralizer sort of like a hey arnold arnold type maybe um, hey guys yeah hey guys show. you know like we're all friends you know we can get along um so he he's up there doing that and being the kind of like annoying good kid. But then we got Looney Bird on vocals and Looney Bird is like pretty much what, how you would imagine him to look. And uh, mm-hmm. he's on vocals and he's portrayed as an alcoholic who uh, <laughs> who would drink this thing called gasohol, which was a cheaper form of gas that someone called Billy Bob invented. And he would get like drunk or high or something on stage. It's more plot than I really expected. There's a lot of plot. <laughs> <laughs> and I believe these may be like accumulative shows, right? Like, okay. I think yeah. maybe like you see like five or six different loops maybe. and then you like piece together the issues that these bandmates have. We really don't know, but it gets worse. Oh boy. So Duke LaRue, who is only described very problematically as a mongrel, so a dog, but I thought I would uh, state hmm. that. Um, a word we... Adopt dog shop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So vocals again so he can actually play simple drum beats he's the drummer and if he's like set up just so he can you know do a little beat um and his kind of personality is a dopey idiot and he he wears an astronaut suit on stage because he dreams of going into space he's their animal he often misses his cues and like fumbles around classic drummer slander yeah yeah sorry guys um you're also often the hottest member of the band though yeah well, and then this is the most problematic possible thing. Um, this character is called Fats Geronimo, um, and he is keyboard and vocals. And he is literally, he was literally made to be a parody of Fats Domino and Ray Charles. And this character is a, like, silverback gorilla. So it's like, he's, like, rambling like, these stories and he's, like, really bossy on stage. So it just feels like... That wouldn't be uh, something that would fly, like in terms of choosing that particular animal. Um, all right, so then we got Beach Bear, who's on guitar and vocals. He's a polar bear. He's sarcastic, laid back. He's kind of cool. And then we got Mitzi Mozzarella, and uh, she's on vocals, and she's a mouse cheerleader. And they actually would call her Loose on stage. Um, and she's supposed to be like a teenager who gossips about her boyfriends and like dumb pop music. And won't is this supposed to be for kids or like I who's this for? No. <laughs> And she won't stop talking about Michael Jackson. So she's just like. Yeah. Like, I feel like this maybe is for like 11 year olds, like tweens or something. It's very confusing. Somebody's like getting high on like 
gas. I'm very confused because gas a whole sounds like alcohol made of gas. Yeah. Um, and this again is all like things I found. I haven't been able to see necessarily a, an entire performance. Um, but those, mm-hmm. those are, oh, well, and then we have in between acts, Rolf DeWolf and Earl Schmerl would come out of Antriloquist and Comedy Act, which were a wolf and his dummy. And, um, you know, Rolf would be like sarcastic and rude and rude to the employees. Um, but he mm-hmm. loves I think it's it's important to say that that he loves disco music and Kmart <laughs> and the works of Frank Sinatra. Were they owned by the same company? Like <laughs> That was, my, of course, my immediate thought. I have no idea. Yeah. I didn't like wow. I didn't um, sleuth that out. Um, but uh, you really learn a lot in a way by just like, yeah, defunct business history. Because it does. It reflects the consumer, which is everyone. And um, it's that's why I mean, you know, that's why we love this stuff. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, as I mentioned, these guys were their faces were ripped off and repurposed for um, Chuck E. Cheese, uh, which probably I would say a majority of our listeners at least are familiar with. And in case they don't know, Mm -hmm. Chuck E. Cheese's real name. Do you know what Chuck E. Cheese's real name is? Is it Charles Entertainment Cheese? Yes, it is Charles yeah. Entertainment Cheese. <laughs> and I just think that's nice. <laughs> I, just like that. I agree. <laughs> There's so few joys lately. So I'm going to like kind of stop here because we kind of know what animatronics are like now. And then we can kind of talk about some of the ones we really like. But and this isn't at Disney, but it's at it's it's at Universal Studios, which is like really high up there for me like it kind of gets I'm a little close done. to disney uh, you would really really like it and then so in 93 oh i can't believe you've never been on this ride um the largest animatronic figure ever is built for the jurassic park ride which is the gigantic enormous terrifying t-rex and you've got to go to universal when you can yeah Someday. And they've got like a Jaws ride too, right? They've got Jaws <gasps> rights. What they have, Sarah, uh-huh. <laughs> <It's> the, <laughs> is the um, backlot tour. So they'll take you through like you get to go through like the Desperate Housewives set, which is also the Gilmore Girls set. And you get mm-hmm. to go behind the scenes and you see like, but at the same time, things will happen. Like you'll go and see where Jaws, like the pool where Jaws was filmed, mm-hmm. but then you won't expect it. And suddenly it'll be like, ah, you know, and jump out <laughs> of the water. And, um, and then you go into like this place I can't remember what movie it is, but you go into this place and then there's like a monorail crash and like a mm-hmm. whole earthquake. Oh, it's speed could be uh, a lot of things. Yeah. I don't think it's speed because it's a subway and mm. speed's a bus, right? It has Maybe the it, LA subway at the end, which makes me wonder if that like doomed the LA subway and everyone was like, better not take it. Could be Dennis Hopper on there. But any, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be going to a lot of theme parks as soon as it's safe. I also oh want to go God. to the Land Experience, which is also in Orlando. What is that? It's a it's the Christian theme park, and they have like oh, a passion play no and like way. a Jesus. I mean, multiple Jesuses walking around, and I mm-hmm. just am incredibly curious. And I never went. I was like in town, and I was thinking of going, but I was like, I'm not going to pay fifty human dollars for this. But now, you know, Sunday. Yeah, we'll go together. That sounds, yeah, please. So, okay. I want you to talk to me about sort of, well, we, we want to talk about the Carousel of Progress and especially yeah. how, you know, I, the interesting thing, thing about the Carousel of Progress is that it was 
you know, funded and created by GE. So it's mm. like this wonderful kind of suburban propaganda, right? Um, yeah. And then it also really relates to the Stepford Wives, which you've done a lot with. So do you want to kind of take the reins here and tell me some tell me some stuff? Yeah. Um, and I also just learned, I didn't know this somehow, that the dad in the Carousel of Progress, who's the main speaking role, is voiced by Gene Shepard, who's the narrator of A Christmas Story, which I was just like, I don't It's It seems like that voice would be so familiar that you would instantly recognize it in that context. But I don't know. It's good. It's good. It's a good performance. Maybe that's why. But basically, it is a rotating story You can't call it a ride. It's a diorama, I guess, where basically we see the American family, father, mother, two kids um, through time. So we see them first kind of, I think, around the Industrial Revolution. The next time in, is it the 1920s? I'm not brushed up. That seems right. It's important technological eras. Yeah. So we go era by era. We have each time it's like the same archetypal family. And the dad is telling you about all these exciting new advancements that they have. And we hear about how all the different family members are using the technology of the time. So notably, in one moment, the mother, Sarah, is able to keep doing wifely duties like sewing and mending because of electric lights. And she's able you know, to just use all of her electric conveniences to do housewife stuff, you know, more and more each time. And yet you never quite see her <laughs> liberated from that. And so never. I really love the Stepford Wives. And I did uh, an episode of You're Wrong About a few months ago about just what is the Stepford Wives? What is the story of that novel? And how does it relate to the history of the time. And one of the things that I love that that book does explicitly is connect the Stepford Wives to Disney Imagineers by saying that kind of the main ringleader of the Stepford husbands used to work at Disney. And this is why he has all this proprietary information and understands the technology that you need to be able to make, you know, a, a, a real wife, which I think it could be a plot hole, but it doesn't really feel like one because you understand that like basically repetitive motions are all that women are really supposed to be doing in America at this point, right? Like you're supposed to mm-hmm. be cleaning, uh, having sex, and then and then apparently child rearing is a repetitive motion, at least as far as the the Stepford men understand. And so it just I love that the uh the Disney animatronics and specifically the hall of presidents get cited in that book are like a direct inspiration for one of the most iconically sinister stories of this time. Did you get to see, no, you probably didn't get to see Trump. I didn't get to because they were renovating it. And now I know that that must've been the weirdest, most last minute of, of, uh, of renovations. Allegedly (laughs) they, they changed it from Hillary Clinton. Allegedly. I don't know. It looks exactly like her. Like I'm not going to write, like we weren't in the room, but like, if you didn't know who it was supposed to be, you would not first say Donald Trump. I don't think. I did get to see him and it was, um, absolutely surreal. I have some videos I'll send you another time. Um, but everyone should look this up. What a relic. It's going to stay there too. I mean, what, I don't right. know they'll remove it. There's probably going to be a whole thing to remove him eventually, but they can put a sash on that says impeached. At yeah. Some point. With two, yeah. maybe. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So anyway, yeah, that's and and I, when I hear you talk about this and when I think of the carousel of progress again, it's like I, it's just such a relic of Cold War suburbanization yeah. and like that that um, the way of looking at America. Right. Because Disney's like uh, just the most American patriotic institution. It's like the 50s were just this and 60s were just this time where everything kind of comes out of that. And like, mm. it's like a fight against those messages. Mm. I just look at Disney as this sort of relic of this simpler time where you could, you know, walk through Main Street or Celebration Florida. I mean, you know about Celebration? I, yeah, I spent 4th of July in, in Celebration a few years ago. What? And yeah, and it was weird. I was totally enchanted by it in the sense that I was like, there are pedestrian children riding their bikes around because people feel safe enough to do that because there's Disney security and like Disney levels of control everywhere. Oh, can I give you um, one quote yeah. um, that you're going to really like from um, this is from uh, Kurt Anderson's book, Fantasyland. Have you read that? No, not yet. You would love it. Um, like to contrast what you said. So this is a quote from a woman who lives there and she's, she's talking about how, she wanted to move to celebration to feel safe, um, but that she still does not feel safe in celebration. Mm. And she says, talking about her dog, I don't walk Lily because I never know what's going to come out of the bushes, a snake, or even if a hawk comes swooping down and I'm not able to see it because there's so much vegetation above me, or there's going to be an alligator that comes out of the swamp and starts chasing us. At the animal kingdom, the animals are all secretly and invisibly barricaded so they can't get to you. But here in Celebration, it's the real deal. It's ironic. There's mean people here in Celebration too. I don't walk at night. I don't feel safe anywhere. There's crime that happens here i've seen some sketchy characters it's just tough to be a person <laughs> you know? isn't it <laughs> i don't know when that quote is from but like there was in the summer of 2016 a two-year-old who got just you know killed by a gator yeah so like but yeah. clearly the invisible gator barrier that she hopes is there isn't isn't there anywhere which is all to say like I do advocate for fearing alligators. I don't think they really chase. Maybe they do chase. I my my understanding is that they're kind of slow and lazy. Oh, they are. Okay. Well, then yeah. For like some amount of feet. They're like a they're like a jolt yeah. of speed, but um yeah, they're sprinters. They're not yeah, they're not distance runners. Long distance runners. Um that was me doing Greece. Um <laughs> long distance running. <laughs> trying to get Danny to do track. Um, Not, not good for alligators, not good for Danny Zuko either. Um, (laughs) But I wanted you to tell us like what, when you're in celebration, what was your favorite part? Is there something that sticks out? I mean, I think my favorite part of it is also my least favorite part of it, which is that it feels like a walkable American small town, kind of the same way that main street USA does. And you're like, it's everything I want. And you're like, yes, because I bought it. I have bought this experience and it has been curated and served to me by a major corporation. Like, you know, just the sort of realization that like you are wanting what you have been told to want. It also feels like the um, imaginary island that the Truman Show takes place on, which I think was also in Florida in real life. That would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, I, could, I need to do a rewatch. And that's totally in the Disney, you know, commenting on Disney kind of. Totally. Yeah. I wanted to tell you about Black Sunday as well. Oh, um, yeah. You're going to love this. So Black Sunday is the name for 
what happened on the first opening day of Disney, which was mm-hmm. like, you know, like a, a star studded. This is what Dr. Ian Malcolm references. He references Black Sunday. Yeah, he well there well he doesn't reference it, but someone says I think that just the that Hammond, the park owner, is like when when Disney World opened, none of the rides worked and Malcolm is like Yes, John, but uh, when the Pirates of the Caribbean came to life, they didn't eat the tourists. I want to go to Jurassic Park. Oh, Whatever. my God, I know. <laughs> I don't even care if like, it turns into a bloodbath. Just <laughs> There's the wish fulfillment of like, what if there were dinosaurs and you could see them? And also perhaps the even better wish fulfillment of what if you could be the only kids in a theme park and there were no lines like, I think that one is actually slightly more exciting than the dinosaur thing at this point. You got to get on that ride. I'm telling you. I really do. So, okay. It's July 17th, 1955. There are three anchors who are hosting this, um, you know, nationally very, very watched show or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it, special. Um, mm-hmm. And these were his friends. So there was Two of them, I don't know who they are. I probably should. But there's Art Linkletter and Bob Cummings. Mm-hmm. And and then I want you to try to guess mm. who the, the third host was. It's funny because, like, I immediately want to say Bob Hope. It's not. It's okay. weirder and somebody that we don't we really don't like now. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Is it Bill Cosby? No, it's Ronald Reagan. Uh, <laughs> was he like, okay, and this is, is this when he's governor of California? He might be, or he's just a celebrity. I think he may just be a yeah. celebrity at this point. So he's okay. like young and, and cute. And- he's a camera ready human male, which is what we really need. And Art Lickletter was, uh, I don't know that much about his career, but he was definitely a big TV personality. And he had a, this is a grim area, but he had a daughter uh, who committed suicide. And he sincerely believed that that was because she had used hallucinogens. So I think that he actually helped to give credence to the concept that if you took acid or whatever, you would like, you know, decide you could fly and jump out the window. So that's an interesting you know, connection to some other topics for you. Thank you. <laughs> In the 70s, uh, 300 uh, like people led by Abby Hoffman went to Tom Sawyer Island and like just they said they ran around and went on rides and just got really high. Oh and God. I don't know. know. It's kind of fun. Anyway, back to Black Sunday. So um, <laughs> it was like a like a like a disaster of almost like cartoonish proportions. That's kind of like perfect for Disney. Mm. Um, so it was only open <laughs> to guests that were invited. It was supposed to be like 10,000 people or something like that. But it ended up with 28,000 people because <gasps> Someone made counterfeit tickets. Oh. Someone else. Um, like people were paying this person who had a giant ladder. <laughs> so people were just like climbing in to get. That's really great. I, it's wonderful. They just weren't ready. Yeah. It was like a fire fest, but like 10% of that. Um, yeah. So it's 101 degrees. All right. Oh. And they run out of food. And Walt, this day, because of a plumber's strike, had Mm -hmm. to choose between having toilets or water fountains. Oh, my God. So he chose toilets. So there was no water. And everybody had to drink Pepsi. And then people thought (gasps) it was a scam because Pepsi sponsored it. So So it's like like Woodstock 2 also, where people are just like getting massively dehydrated. Massively in the 101 degree Uh. heat of 
And then Walt like thought he was live and then he read the dedication and then he said they said he wasn't live, but he actually was. So he was just like reading things again and messing it up. And everybody was late. All like the famous people who were supposed to like red carpeted or whatever were backed up on the freeway. And then the the asphalt had been poured too recently. So women in high heels were just sinking into the ground and falling down. And, wonderful. and parents started throwing their children, like tossing them in front of the crowd, kind of like crowd surfing them so they could get mm-hmm. on the rides. Mm-hmm. Um, this is my favorite part. So it really culminates <laughs> in this moment where I just think everybody got wasted. So mm-hmm. at this one part, Art Linkletter tries to pass coverage over to Bob Cummings, who's on a floating pirate ship that would eventually start to sink. Um, or no, 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 no. It was like, the, no, it was the the, the riverboat. Um, and then <laughs> and then Art Linkletter tried to yeah pass the coverage over to him on a floating pirate ship, but he wasn't prepared. So he was like, he sent it back to Linkletter. And in that time, he lost his microphone. <laughs> And then Cummings, like, then he went to Mr. Toad's Wild Ride because that's where he had been. And then he just, like, made this little section about trying to find the microphone. So there was, like, a whole (laughs) section of the show in front of Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. So he was just, like, and then, and then, and then, not long after, the camera panned to find him making out with the dancer in Frontierland. So it was just like a Bacchanalian. That's amazing. Why yeah. isn't there a movie about that? Like, this is the problem with Disney, you know, obviously controlling all of their IP is that, you know, they're going to do like saving Mr. Banks. But I really doubt, like, Disney, will you please just make an opening day movie? Like, I would watch, I would watch a 10 part TV series about that. I really would. Called Black Sunday? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then they were like working out the kinks. And the only thing I remember from like the next several weeks, because they were like, okay, we're going to like get things <laughs> back together mm-hmm. before we start really having people in. But two animals escaped. It was, I think it was a tiger and a lion or two tigers. And they escaped onto Main Street and had like a, you know, like a slinky, <laughs> like jungle oh cat stand. Oh my God. (laughs) Okay. Well, I think I want to share with you one more thing that I think really captures sort of the spirit of Disneyland. And this is from 1959 when a Soviet premier, uh, Nikita Khrushchev, came Mm -hmm. over from the Soviet Union when he did that like weird grand tour of the US. So the one thing he truly wanted to do was go to Disneyland. Mm. When his wish was not granted, they basically said that your security's not going to be okay. This is what he told reporters. He said, mm. just now I was told that I cannot go to Disneyland. I asked, why not? What is it? Do you have rocket launching pads there? And just listen, just listen to what reason I was told. We, which means American authorities, cannot guarantee your security if you go there. What is it? Is there an epidemic of cholera or something? Or have gangsters taken hold of the place? What must I do? Commit suicide? That is the situation I am in. I love Russians. <laughs> I just think that that's a, a really great uh, way to to wrap up sort of the Disney, the Disney allure. Um, and not even the Soviet Union could <laughs> escape the desire to enter this capitalist utopia so (laughs) well what's your favorite disney movie is there a specific one wow it's hard to pick oh you know what it's it's gotta be robin hood i visited friends recently who have a toddler who was 
in like a watch Robin Hood one to two times daily loop. And I was like, this one, I like, there's a lot of Disney movies that I love, but that are like tuned too high emotionally for me to really be able to watch frequently. Um, but like, I, Robin Hood is the enchanted tiki room of Disney movies. Like it is calibrated for a tired adult as well as a child. <laughs> Plus Robin Hood and Maid Marian are super foxy. No pun intended. Mm-hmm. In every way. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for coming on. Is there anything that you want to want to push right now? I mean, everybody knows your show. I feel like many, many people know you're wrong about. So do you want to tell us about anything you're working on? I know you're doing Why Our Dads and it's great. It's so much fun. Thank you. Yeah. And we would love to have you on an episode and we talk about movies with dads in them and dad themes and culture and kind of whatever we want to with our guests. And uh, we recently talked about Saw, which was really fun. And uh, yeah, I would just plug the concept of like taking seriously the things that bring you joy and just enjoying your love of whatever you love. And then finding people who want to excitedly listen to you describe those things to them. Um, Cause that's really those, those people are out there. It's pretty great. God bless. God bless. That's, that's a wonderful way to end. So thank you. And I hope you keep finding weird joy and uh, keep watching the saw movies. <laughs> Have a great rest of your day. This was really fun. This was American hysteria. If you haven't listened to this beloved sibling show of ours, You're Wrong About, I'll say it. You're going to like what you hear. I guarantee it. I also guarantee that you're going to love Why Are Dads? Because truly, why are they? I especially recommend, as Sarah mentioned, their episode on Jigsaw, the villain in the Saw movies. You know, America's dad. Next time on the show, we're talking about the history of American education, children's programming. That's coming in two weeks. If you're a listener of American Hysteria, you can become a patron and get access to our other podcast called Walk With Me, where I take walks in different places and talk about our world in a different way, a more emotional, metaphysical way. Dare I say it, a more vulnerable way. And you get to share your own stories too. You can find the link to our Patreon in the show notes. Another way to support our show is to leave us a review on the podcast app of your choice or follow us on social media or head to our website and check out our merch, which has a very cool Illuminati Satanic Panic Poison Halloween Candy mashup design. That's at AmericanHysteria.com. This episode has sound by ClearComo Studios and was produced by Miranda Zickler. Thanks as always for listening. And may all the hardworking animatrons at the Disney parks finally get the rest they deserve. Have a great week. <laughs>